Welcome to Techno Roll, a Let It Roll maxi series discussing Simon Reynolds' book, Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture, hosted by Nate Wilcox and Ryan Harkness. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Today, Nate and Ryan discuss the Spiral Tribe and the Krusty Raver Alliance that saw the last gasp of mass illegal raves in Britain. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Time to let it roll, or should I say techno roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox. Once again, I'm joined by Ryan Harkness to continue our discussion of Simon Reynolds' Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture. Today, we're talking about Chapter 5, Fight for Your Right to Party, Spiral Tribe, and the Krusty Raver Moment. Ryan, are you ready to get crusty? Ah, uh, I suppose I am. It's kind of uh, a fun, a fun new subculture that we're getting to delve into here. I feel like for, for the first time, crust punks usually get, or the rave crusties usually get overlooked and lumped in with the rest of the kind of first wave of, of underground rave out in the countryside. So it's fun to actually get a, a, a deeper dive in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think this speaks to Reynolds' affinity for psychedelia and outre experiences sort of looking for that transcendental experience through music that he had been looking for through psychedelic music before uh, he even got hip to rave music so yeah i think it's a natural and i do i do like this focus on the subculture and there were a few groups music producers that were intimately involved that were of the um traveler movement i guess would be i don't think they call themselves crusties <laughs> but the, the the traveler movement in england so yeah, Reynolds it's completely, starts- completely foreign to me, this this whole idea of uh, there being kind of a, a traveler society that kind of happened and then a, a rave, a rave movement within them that then drew in the ravers from the city. And as Simon Reynolds says, there was kind of a bit of a of an interesting allegiance between the two of them and uh, a kind of a, an interesting scene that blossomed. Yeah, there's a real symbiosis between the uh, working week type ravers who are going out making money and coming in on the weekend and partying at these free festivals, bringing cash into the system, and the uh, travelers provide the atmosphere, the sound system, the drugs, and the jewelry, and the juggling, and, <laughs> and, other, and other sorts of things like that. I think in the States, there was a similar subculture, but it was around the Grateful Dead, and so it didn't – and then the number of jam bands that came up in the wake of The Grateful Dead. And The Grateful Dead came to mainstream popularity in the States in the late 80s. So they were packing stadiums, and then the stadium parking lot would be filled with this traveling subculture. So I think in the States there wasn't quite the opening for techno music to penetrate because jam bands had such a run in the 90s after The Dead, after Jerry Garcia passed and, and you know other bands, Spaghetti – incident and string cheese or whatever fish and all that stuff no no insult intended to any of that i just haven't been studying up on it lately but anyway that was kind of going on in the states but in england you had a similar scene where this 60s hippie free festival movement spun off a group of people as many as forty thousand by the late 80s who just traveled to these free festivals and through the 70s and 80s they were listening to acid rock bands like gong and hawkwind and then they got into world music and they got into dub reggae being england of course they were into dub reggae but when rave started they um they they got into that as well. And I think the, he, he points at the Glastonbury Festival as the first um, time that they really came together, the, the ravers and, and, the, and the travelers. And from there, the travelers had sound systems already and started, started doing techno. And, and by the time Reynolds goes to the Castle Morton Common Festival, also known as the Avon Festival, in May of 1992, uh, it's I guess reached its zenith. It peaked right then, and and a massive, massive free festival that managed to get past um, the police attempts to shut it down. 
but it also triggered a big backlash. 13 members of the Spiral Tribe uh, got arrested and, and would be put on very expensive, lengthy trials, although none of them ended up getting convicted. But tell us a little bit about the Spiral Tribe. Well, they were basically kind of the uh, the more organized of, of of all the group, which is interesting because later on you see they get fractured because of the the success of the Spiral Tribe. Everything there, there's a certain being a leftist myself. There's always a certain uh, problem in the scene where leftists turn in on each other anytime there's too much success. And I think Spiral Tribe was one of these groups that at first had a lot of momentum going forward, but then their size kind of came back to to bite them in the ass because not only were the police hip to what they were up to. Uh, I don't know if there was infiltrations like there are in the States with anything that I'm goes sure. on like that, but they they definitely knew exactly what was going on with all the parties and where to, where to set everything up and how to drive these guys down. And so Spiral Tribe was kind of, they, they were the ones that established things and kind of set a uh, a tenor as far as the music goes, which, uh, you know, I want to specify, uh, you come into this chapter expecting it to be more about uh, Psytrance and Goa and stuff like this, but the Spiral Tribe guys, I feel, had way more to do with the acid techno scene uh best uh, encompassed afterwards by the stay up forever guys like the liberators and everything else like that than they really did with the psytrance scene so there was a lot of you, you thought uh the hardcore in the hardcore chapter was hardcore you should listen to what the spiral tribe guys were playing which was uh you know when i was sending that stuff to you nate i was i was trying to give you give you a mix of things to put it in into context because it's really far out there really minimal really banging, really acidy, and definitely its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I found some pretty good uh, Spiral Top collections on YouTube Music that had not all of the EPs, but it had most of the tracks from the EPs. And also Xenophobia did a reissue in 2016 that collects a lot of their stuff. MC Scallywag, who's on Spiral Tribe's Do It. Do they say Do It or Do It? Uh, I think it's Do It because the sample in the track says Do It. Uh, that's a good clue, yeah. So so MC Scallywag can be heard at the beginning of Spiral Tribe Spiral Tribe's Do It track. And let's go ahead and hear it. This is Spiral Tribe Do It featuring a little bit of MC Scallywag. Spiral Tribes do it. And that's a homage to a new drug cocktail that was popular at the time, mixing methamphetamine, LSD, ecstasy, and ketamine. And ketamine is closely related to PCP. It's an animal tranquilizer. It's, it's actually a disassociative drug. There's multiple classes of drugs. You've got your stimulants like speed, hallucinogens like LSD and ecstasy, and then disassociative drugs, which function as anesthetics because they make you have this sort of out-of-body experience. So Doet apparently promised a 30-hour trip with, quote, amazing visuals. So for that the brave. That sounds terrible. I am not interested yeah. in anything that lasts longer than six to eight hours. Yeah, that's and that's and that can be a long time if if things go go badly. So yeah, that's that's for the hardy or the foolhardy right there. And and ketamine produces, you know, the infamous K-hole. So some you know real really alienating experiences can happen there but apparently that's what kids were into at the time and i also wanted to go back and mention in the 80s the traveler scene that's my dog preston let his presence be known um, mc preston but, toasting it up that's right um but in the 80s margaret thatcher naturally had had cracked down on the traveler scene and and british police diverted and attacked a convoy that was headed to the Stonehenge Free Festival in 1985. Just typical police stuff, clubbing women and children. And, uh, you know, Maggie Thatcher's Iron Woman quote was, I'm only too happy to make life as difficult as possible for these hippie convoys. So there's already an establishment uh, animus against the travelers. And the tabloid newspapers are right in there. People already know about it because the Battle of the Beanfield was a big deal. And in fact, a big part of the reason that the Castle Morton Festival happened was because the police didn't want to have another big PR debacle like that. So they 
kind of took it easy. But once the tabloids get hold of this, after 13 of the Spiral Tribe are arrested, and apparently they hung around at Castle Morton instead of making a getaway when they could have, and uh, you know got busted, and the tabloids are just all over it, and Parliament doesn't take very long at all to get onto it. But let's talk a little bit more about Spiral Tribe and the build-up to Castle Morton. They started up uh, in summer of 91, hooking up with travelers and their sound system. They were organizing parties very quickly after that, the, bringing in both you know mainstream ravers and crusties. Uh, frequently, they would coincide with the free festivals that were going on, so they would be adjacent to it or nearby, kind of the way the sound systems broke into Glastonbury and the other big rock festivals. They just set up the sound systems at the rock festivals and uh, started drawing a subset of that audience there. And there were a number of other sound systems at the same time, Bedlam, Circus Warp, the Techno Travelers, Armageddon, Adrenaline, and Circus Normal. And Reynolds says they, quote, fermented a peculiar symbiosis between the straight rave scene and the anarcho-hippie nomads. And that's what I was talking about, where the ravers are bringing in uh, their pay packet and spending it. And the um, travelers are providing this environment. And the two of them have this mutual common ground in drugs, dance, and desire for a dirt-cheap wild time. So yeah, it's 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 a natural symbiosis. It's so much like um, many of these cults that have straight, quote-unquote, straight members who have day jobs. I think even Mary Brenner and the Manson family worked as a librarian for a while. And that was probably one of Manson's downfalls was he, he made everybody quit their day jobs, whereas other more savvy cult leaders uh, keep people working their day job, or at least a subset of people working their day job to bring in that precious, precious cash that you need, even for an alternative economy. Uh, you got to have uh, infusions of resources there. Yeah, if there's no ever- money coming in, then it just doesn't just doesn't doesn't happen. And that was always the interesting thing about the free tech scene is that, you know, uh, there needed to be patrons, basically, they need to be uh, there needed to be true believers still out in the real world, getting getting the money and and bringing it in. And uh, I'm sure once the the rave scene started mixing over into the free tech scene out uh, the the traveler scene, then uh, that, that was great, because there's stories in the book about how uh, the travelers had their kids kind of wandering around after the party selling people rolling papers and stuff like that. So you really you really get a feel for the economy and how it how it worked and and these people outside of 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 capitalism would operate just fine on trading and stuff like that but every time they kind of set up they would do their best to try and take an influx of of cash in to keep keep the sound systems going because the cops were uh, you know the cops had a pretty solid playbook as far as how they would operate and they would you know arrest a couple of key people but the big thing was that they would they would take your sound system and that would be the end unless, you know, you're not uh, even just to build them yourselves, which was what a lot of these guys were doing. You know, they're, they're components there and it's cash only or it's money only. You're going to have to pay for it. So there, there had to it's an uneasy uh, reality that they had to live with. That You know, free doesn't really mean free. There still had to be something coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Got to pay for the generators. So they, would, they would let people in free and then and then hit them up for contributions for the for the generators. Um, and the Spiral Tribe had an unusual crew. Like there's 13 or 14. They, they fairly anonymous. It's hard to get details. But Reynolds Reynolds identifies two members of the Spiral Tribe. One of them, Mark Harrison, was a spokesman, and he's kind of the guru of the set. And there's a great quote from him. He says, Mark Harrison says, "We keep everything illegal." because it's only outside the law that there's any life to be had. The real energy in rave culture comes from illegal dance parties, pirate radio, and white label 12 inches that bypass the record industry altogether. Rave is about people creating their own reality. At our parties, you step inside the circle and enter ritual space, spiral tribe reality. And so it sounds an awful lot like Shut Up and Dance, though. They had a very similar outlaw ethos. So yeah, it's a natural fit between these travelers and the rave culture that's been developing in England. And, uh, you know, it, it's important to also note that they they tied a lot of this into uh, into drug use, but in a, in, a, in a less shallow way than I think uh, a lot of the other scenes at the Times were doing. You know, a lot of these books I find... Uh, one of the things I think is underplayed a lot in these books and media about the rave scene is, is uh, drugs do change minds and consciousness. All this talk of ecstasy creating fake happiness, which is what sh- uh, Shut Up and Dance was all talking about. They had that hit 
basically saying, do I really feel the way I feel? You know, ecstasy, happiness, not being real. It ignores the legit science that points out that trips can have long-term positive effects on people, it diminishes PTSD, and it breaks down damaging internal ideologies created by trauma and stuff. So there's real growth to be had by taking these drugs. And uh, so to me, this is a this is one of the first groups that kind of makes that one of the bedrocks of the scene, saying that yes, it's a party thing, but it's also something that can expand your consciousness. And they really leaned into that in what I thought was kind of a positive way. Well, you know, uh, whether or not it was successful or not really depends on the individuals or your objective view of what success is. I'm sure a lot of people went completely off the rails, but you know, the message the message is worth considering. Yeah, definitely. I think having an ideology and an, an aesthetic that goes beyond just aesthetics and into an ideology, I think, was very helpful. Um, but it's a double-edged sword, and and a lot of people uh, couldn't handle, you know, the experience. And a lot of people who drop out of normal society, some people find a way and and live. I know I know plenty of older hippies that that opted out of quote square society and frequently their accommodations it seems like they've come back in but uh you know they make make an accommodation but frequently find a way to make a a, a living in square society but still in the alternative culture other people though i've seen just go completely off the rails and you know doesn't lead anywhere good at all um, yeah there, there's a there's a distinction between say like the frusty crusty free tech people and maybe like say the the go aside trans community and, and at the free tech there's definitely more of an like, underground punk ethos to it uh and a philosophy that in the end i'd say you you could actually consider kind of destructive because it's such an abandonment of, you know, there, there's something to be said about going on the road less traveled, but going right off of a cliff, uh, when you go too far off the road that, that is traveled, uh, especially in this society, I, I find that you get isolated, you're unable to, to operate, and, uh, you know, you get crushed. So I think that that happened to a certain degree with a lot of people in the free tech scene that I know about. And uh, yeah. I think I think and it's the same thing with, uh, I think, hardcore punk is that that ethos ends up damaging a lot of the truest believers because they're unable to work within the confines of reality. Yes, well put. And let's hear another another tune. This is Man With No Names Fluorescence from 1994. fluorescence from man with no name from 1994 ryan tell us why you picked this one i just thought it was a good representation because uh, as we said the spiral tribe sound is a bit more of a hardcore acid techno sound but at the same time there was this psychedelic trance thing happening that it was getting picked up by a lot of labels in england and the funny thing about this one is that it comes back around to our old buddy paul oakenfold he starts a uh, a label and picks up man with no name and he starts picking up a whole bunch of proto psy trance so he once again ends up being you know the guy that we all make fun of for being the big mainstream whatever once again he's right at the forefront of this evolving uh psy trance scene running one of the one of the main labels in perfecto flora floro and uh man with no name is one of the first side trance songs it's one of the first real dance songs that i ever heard in my life so it had a big impact on me and, and drove me towards trance music for the next like decade or so well cool i'm glad you could bring it in and the other member of spiral tribe i want to want to talk about is a guy named seb reynolds doesn't give his last name i don't know if seb gave reynolds his last name but he identifies him as the main musical creator in spiral tribe and um again he's he's got some interesting quotes too he he echoes some of what mark harrison the spiral tribe spokesman said when he says quote in the old days rock bands had to go to the record companies and sign their souls away just to make a record but now cheap technology means anyone can do it and he also compared what they were doing to um, Rites of Spring, the early 20th century composition, and now I'm blanking on the Russian composer, um, 
who who wrote that, but it it literally caused riots in its debut because it's really emphasized rhythm more than melody, and people um, in Western culture were not ready for that at all. And and it actually triggered riots in 1913 there in the concert halls. Um, Stravinsky, that's who it is, Rides of Spring, um, a classic. And and he also says that if you compare techno with music from, quote, primitive or non-Western cultures, you'll find that those musics, like techno, are based on harmony and rhythm, not melody. So I think the world music background of the Krusty Travelers prepared them to take this particular slant on techno. And I noticed several of the Spiral Tribe songs are sampling, sounds like drum circles from some of these festivals and also world music type, type drums. They're using breakbeats, but it's not hip hop breakbeats as a rule. Although I think in Do It, they did use a hip hop breakbeat. Um, so that was pretty interesting. And I also think Reynolds' affinity for this kind of philosophy is revealed when he starts talking about Hakeem Bey, a.k.a. Peter Lamborn Wilson, who's an American anarchist writer who um, wrote a couple pieces in the 80s and early 90s, uh, Chaos, the Broadsheets of Ontological Anarchism from 1985, and his 1990 pamphlet, The Temporary Autonomous Zone, or TAS. Those were big things for Reynolds, and he felt like that Bay's call for a psychic paleolithism based on high tech, that Spiral Tribe was there, there back to nature, nature terra technic shtick, as Reynolds calls it, was exactly the, the manifestation of what Bay had been calling for, and that also Bay's call for a festal culture based around the Jubilee concept and spiritual hedonism. Um, was was manifested in these free festivals and these free raves, and that Reynolds says that an illegal rave is sort of the best manifestation of what Bay called a temporary autonomous zone. So um, interesting stuff brings in Reynolds' existing biases and, and predilections. And as somebody who was into that same kind of stuff at the same time, there was definitely something in the 80s where people were seeking uh, an alternative to the... Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, neoliberalism, and this kind of techno throwback culture hit the spot for a lot of people. I mean, um, I went to a few, and and also we had we had a, a little clan, uh, the Kozik Farm, and they weren't into techno, but they were were into drum circles and, and the drum circle, and I, I definitely checked them out um, and stepped away <laughs> pretty quickly. Because one other thing he mentions, and this is something that, of course, this is why they're called crusties, but these festivals were notorious for their lack of sanitation. And the hardcore travelers and crusties would travel with a trowel and some toilet paper, so they'd bury their own poop. But when you brought in the ravers, uh, who are just weekenders, you would end up with these shit fists, just poop everywhere. And um, yeah, so that that also, uh, I think. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like quite quite the quite the nightmare right there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, yeah that yeah that whole hygiene thing was a big turnoff for a lot of people uh, who who dabbled or or sampled hippie culture and and you know uh, yeah cleanliness uh, godliness and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's funny, Spiral Tribe lev- leveraged the publicity from the thirteen members getting arrested at Castle Morton and um, actually signed a deal with Big Fun Records and puts out several EPs, the Breach the Peace EP, Forward the Revolution, uh, et cetera, uh, in the wake of this with putting out Seb's music. But some members disapprove of the whole record deal and go to the continent and spend the next decade basically traveling the continent and proselytizing this lifestyle and bringing this traveler lifestyle. And I mean, there were already hippies in Europe doing a very similar thing so that they found allies and, and scenes that they could plug into. Um, but in France, they were particularly successful in quote, catalyzing a Gallic free party scene. Do you know how to say rave gratuity or, uh, rave gratuity, free oh, rave. 
Yeah, 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 I like it. So, so a massive one near Bayonne. My French accent always good for a chuckle. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty good. Yeah, a lot of these groups were driven out of England into Europe, uh, where things were comparatively much more live and let live, uh, unsurprisingly. And now you've got really thriving scenes in Portugal, Spain, and France, like uh, communes and beaches in Portugal, which are basically just big summer-long psytrance communities, uh, which of course brings in all sorts of commerce and money to the people living there. So they're pretty happy about it in the end. Uh, meanwhile. In England, once again, things were murdered. The scene was basically murdered and things were driven back into the clubs and concert venues and other government sanctioned proper areas of business where, where, you know, which are the, the, the proper acceptable places for these things to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and Britain has continued to crush its own scenes. At some point, I'd like to cover what's happened to grime in the last 10 or 15 years, because because of bills that were passed in the 90s, the Criminal Justice and Public Order Bill Part 5, it allowed the British authorities to sanction gatherings based on the type of music being played. And as the powers that be always do, that has ended up sanctioning African, Afro-Britons more than anybody else. It's always minority groups that get kicked. And this designation of music characterized by re repetitive beats, um, which was explicitly banned in this criminal justice public order bill that was passed, I think, in 94, um, and you know, removed the right to silence. It allowed for arbitrary stop and search powers. It tar targeted squatters, travelers, illegal raves, and free festivals. It defined a rave as as few as 100 people playing amplified music characterized by the emission of a succession of red repetitive beats. And so just nasty stuff. And I think a precursor of a lot of nasty legislation that has since plagued Britain. But let's take a quick break from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the aftermath of the Krusty Traveler Rave Alliance. And I think one of the things that caused the travelers to get into so much trouble in this period was their alliance with rave music. I think if they stuck with the older acid rock and the world music and reggae dub that were not new and alarming musics. That's one thing doing this whole Let It Roll series, I've learned particularly from the work of Ted Joya is that when music is new and music is magic and there's this new magic being released into the world that is simultaneously attracting a lot of people, particularly young people and particularly outsiders, it also really alarms uh, the powers that be, the stay-at-home suburban types, the newspaper tabloid writers, the parliamentarians, and this combination of an alternative lifestyle that had been kind of semi-quietly established in the aftermath of the 60s social and musical revolutions when it allied with this new uh, scene that had already been alarming the tabloids and the politicians. There had already been legislation and, and police crackdowns before you bring in this entire culture of tens of thousands of anarchists uh, and, and hippies that are just absolutely hated by big swaths of British society. Reynolds talks about this sort of internal xenophobia that characterizes Britain and the thought it apparently just sets a lot of taxpayers off the edge to think of these, quote, freeloaders out there having a good time and rejecting their society and refusing to, quote, contribute to said society. And so, um, yeah, it's unfortunate there can't be more of a live and let live, but I think it's just a function of the fact that they really were onto something culturally and musically. When you get that kind of backlash, it's a tell that there is real force in the scene. Yeah, well, there's something definitely pretty exciting going on when people realize that they don't actually need anyone in charge, or perhaps it's more like they realize that no one was really in charge to begin with. The big difference is just a switch in mindset uh, where you where you just realize, okay, take care of yourself, take care of your friends, take care of your community. And that's something pretty valuable that the free tech community, at least when it's operating at its best, provides to people. And I can see how it would really take the scales off your eyes, as, as they say. Yeah, and, and nothing upsets people like their own kids having these sort of revelations and, and changes. For one thing, it's frightening. And if you're experienced and, and you've lived into middle age and you've seen 
what happens to a percentage of young people who go off into alternative lifestyles. As a parent now, I can definitely understand that viewpoint a lot better, having seen so many people uh, flame out and die, um, you know, and go to jail and go insane and all kinds of other consequences. But of course, those kinds of things happen to people who try to walk the straight and narrow as well. I've known plenty of office-bound drug addicts who who flamed out disastrously as well. So, uh, you know, but when somebody declares, I'm dropping out, dad, and, and walks out, that's obviously a big red flag. But nonetheless, even though they're arresting people, even though they're, they're passing these onerous laws, the scene doesn't die. And that there's a combination of smaller illegal parties tended to be either in deep inner city or way, way out in the country or licensed what he calls festi clubs like the Whirly Gig, the Club Dog, the Set Sativa. Um, the Club Dog was a, a already established club at Fridays at the Sir George Rob- Roby in Finsbury Park, classic British pub. It actually started in 88 playing acid rock, dub reggae, world music. But then they started featuring, quote, live techno from groups like The Orbital, Eat Static, Blanco de Gaia, System 7, featuring Steve Hillage, who was in Gong and might have been in Genesis, legendary hippie, new age jazz fusion guitar player who, um, so it's not just the old punk rockers that get into this scene. The old prog rockers are getting into this scene too, which I find to be a pretty interesting alliance of two groups that had been oil and water for 20 years are coming together in the trance scene. They also had the Psychic Warriors of Goya. Um, and they started putting out bigger festivals. They did the Mega Dog, which was like a rock gig meets rave meets festival and was a haven for crusties they had the planet dog label putting out groups like optic eye children of the bong wizards of twiddly i love that name tribal drift loop guru and and kept that stuff going did any of that stuff ever cross your radar uh it was still a little bit too early for me i actually there was a bunch of stuff that i kind of found uh going through this chapter with a fine tooth and comb uh a whole bunch of stuff that I wish I had found back when I was, you know, first getting into music and listening to Nine Inch Nails and stuff, because everything I was finding on the industrial chip was was too trebly. And, and a lot of this was actually scratching that that bassy itch that I wanted, because these guys, through the influence of dub and everything else like that, knew how to really put that low end through. So this this is actually was was really cool going through this all again and and discovering all of that. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a fun one to discover. I didn't enjoy it quite as much as the hardcore trance stuff, but still uh, pretty fun and definitely bears the mark of hardcore having come first. And then at the same time, it is sort of succeeded by the Goa trance scene. And we talked about Goa when we, we did the Brewster and Broughton series. And we even did a special chapter on trance or a special episode on trance because Brewster and Broughton didn't have a dedicated chapter for it. And I think Reynolds kind of disses this era a little bit too, or it's just not his cup of tea. But Goa is a place in India that was a Portuguese colony for a long, long time. I think it was only repatriated to India in the 60s. And it became a magnet for worldwide hippies, especially people from Israel um, and, and Western Europe, who you know, found another tropical paradise, very much like Ibiza, except even more jungly and wild. And um, it became commercialized, but not to the quite to the degree as Ibiza. I think there's still a split between the, the Balearic and the Goa scene. What's your take on the distinction? What makes the Goa scene unique and what made it something that could become a sound removed from its original location? Oh, I think just the Balearic sound was much, much more uplifting and positive. And uh, out, out in Goa, it kind of happened. What happened is that it kind of switched from another one of those groups where it's a bunch of hippies that that came over and brought their psychedelic rock with them to all of a sudden a couple of these DJ guys are getting into more industrial stuff. And you had some of the first examples of, of DJs looping specific segments from uh, New Wave and uh, uh, industrial and uh, Belgian New Beat, which is kind of a slower, creepy uh, sound. And, and they started doing that and mixing that in with with all the rock music. And it just generally developed in a much darker direction, which, I mean, if you listen to modern uh, Goa and Psytrance, 
a lot of that stuff is uh, leans leans dark. So I mean, it, it, it's funny how the Psytrance community is a very positive and light community, but the music is very dark and driving in comparison to the Balearic scene, which has uh, much more of a jingle jangle piano, uh, lovey lovey dovey vibe, and and they end up being the ones that maybe are a little bit uh, more uh, what what's the word? Just a bit more hedonistic with uh, the thoughtless drug use. Yeah, I, I think hedonistic is a good a good term. But let's go ahead and hear a little bit of this um, Goya Psy sound. This is the Green Nuns of the Revolution, Whirling Dervish, the Dead Ahead mix from 1994. And that was the dead ahead mix of Whirling Dervish by the Green Nuns of the Revolution, which Ryan has picked as an example of the, quote, more hard-edged go-a-sai sound, more acid techno than full-on sai. So tell us a little about that track. And also, what's this difference between acid techno and full-on sai that you, you see? Well, basically, kind of full-on sai has that driving bass line to it, that chug-a-chug. And uh, if you if you listen to enough psy trance, you'll realize that's the signature. If it doesn't have that that uh, that bass line, that driving uh, bass line, then it's not really considered to be goa. And that's why, say, man with no name, you say it's psy trance because it's psychedelic trance. But the goa needs needs that 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 bass. And that's if it doesn't have that, most people won't really even consider it to be to be psy trance. Uh, to be Goa specifically. Cool. And should give a shout out to uh, one DJ in particular, Goa Gill, uh, who was a big, uh, big scenester there in Goa, kind of um, the DJ Alfredo of Goa, I would say. And also Sven Voth, who uh, traveled back and forth between Goa and I want to say he's German and, and was a big DJ and producer and made a ton of records. And, and Reynolds has a great quote. I thought that the side trance stuff is a homage to a place that seems like heaven and earth, even to those who've never been there. And it really exploded big in 1996 with parties like Return to the Source, Space Hopper, the Herbal Tea Party, and they preferred acid, LSD, over ecstasy or MDMA. So that's an interesting distinction too, because LSD, much longer trips, doesn't tend to have the happy lovey-dovey uh, feeling, much more of a sort of religious or apocalyptic experience that, that you can have in your head. So so kind of head music more than heart music. Do you think that's a fair? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, definitely a lot of mushrooms in there too, which adds a bit more of that earthy heart spirit feel to it. But uh, definitely ecstasy was not the uh, was was not at the forefront like it was in uh, in the UK with the Balearic sound. Yeah. And um, yeah, I find it interesting that Goa is a very early techno scene. They're not super early, but by the late 80s, there's definitely a scene there that Goa Gill and others are starting to play the techno. And it, it, Berlin's trance scene is pretty early, I'd say 89, 90. And, um, but it takes a little longer for it to become a big force on the British scene. And maybe Balearic and Goa are kind of like oil and water that, that, keep each other out uh maybe scratch a similar niche itch uh and come there but i, I don't know but I, I just found it interesting the way these different scenes blend around and if you had some sort of infographic or super slick you know internet in info delivery system that you could show maybe color code the different scenes coming up and, and out but either way go at, go ahead its day in in britain in in the later 90s even though it had already had an impact on the international dance scene around 89 90 especially in berlin so um 
I found. Yeah, and just as far as uh, as interesting scenes, like kind of sub sub scenes, obviously, uh, that's the thing about dance music these days is that it used to be back in the day you could have a, a party with like eight or nine different distinct uh, big genres of of dance music all all in the same room, and these days nowadays you've got like specific parties for specific sounds and uh, specific scenes, like uh, jungle scene is is very big in different areas and stuff like that, and the the, the Goa psytrance scene around the world is is just one to behold like if you have a chance to go to one of these parties the great thing about them now and another distinction between uh the early spiral tribe free tech people is that all the money goes back into the like there's and there's a lot of it these these aren't cheap parties they go back into the production and you will never feel more pampered than you than you are going to a to a big psytrance party because there is just so much deco there's uh, so they they good food lots of care towards making sure that there are chill out spaces for people having a bad time lots of staff on hand like it's just a, a cut above uh, as far as any of the other rave scenes that i've gone to these people are a community they take care of their community or at least again when it when it's working properly there are obviously uh, deviations and 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 some some places that are kind of you know uh, scenes go up, scenes go down, and when it's on the way down, it might not be like that. But uh, there's a pretty thriving scene out there that you can connect into, and I encourage people to check it out because it's worth it. And excellent porta potty facilities, even those kind of fancy trailers where it's just like a regular bathroom in a building and, and doesn't even feel like a porta potty at all. So that's, the important that's... revelation to me was I went to a party where the Psytrance guys were going around with a pressure washer and they'd go into the porta potties and they'd rinse the porta potty down every hour or two so that it was sparkling clean. And I was like, my God, these guys, they think of everything. <laughs> it is it is a beautiful thing. I think that's the difference between camping and glamping, and uh, they've they've kind of mastered that. I think, um, yeah, uh, Burning Man has kind of seen that same sort of transition into extremely high hygiene while still keeping the outdoors and and uh, alternative scene. But meanwhile, back to Britain's political fight, the the bill was passed and. The Labour Party, as we've seen, was useless, uh, not not a surprise to anybody who's followed British politics over the last few decades. Um, the, the Liberty Group organization tried to help fight it. The travelers and ravers themselves organized. They had some big protests, um, some really big protests, but and, – and even had managed to convince a lot of people that the bill would ban techno itself. A lot of people thought that the, the repetitive beats – clause didn't only apply to illegal shows, but applied to every show everywhere. But even with that kind of alarmist messaging, um, the bills passed and, and went through, but it didn't kill the scene. Although it did result in some interesting music where people tried to, to make music addressing this uh, in an interesting way. Um, and it didn't kill even the free party scene. There's a, a, a bunch of guerrilla parties that kept going, sound systems like Disorganization, Liberator, the Chiba City sound system kept going, and Exodus out of Luton. Uh, Reynolds calls them the, quote, most persistent and definitely most persecuted sound system collective. One of their members was even tried for murder and cleared, um, clear miscarriage of justice and and had to go to trial and be arrested, which is a serious life-ruining ordeal, but thankfully wasn't convicted and, and sent to prison forever. Um, but yeah, the stuff it, it keeps going on. And the next song title, you're going to have to tell me how to pronounce the group name. All right. Let me Aut just go down into our list here. Are we talking about uh, Autecker? Yes, Autecker. Basically Autecker. <laughs> Autech. Okay. I feel like I'm going to get shit for this one too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. If, if you don't like a pronunciation, please email us and tell us all about it. At, uh, let it roll podcast gmail.com. But yeah, Autecker, which is spelled funny in my defense. It's, it's a, a very alarming word. This is Flutter from 1994. And this is a, an attempt to address the uh, repetitive music issue uh, in the bill that was passed.
and that was Autechre's flutter from 1994, an attempt to address the political uh, attacks on rave music, the, quote, succession of repetitive beats. So, yeah, I mean, the, the British authorities are freaking out and cracking down, but they don't manage to kill everything. And even um, the guerrilla parties keep going. But there are some attempts to continue the Spiral Tribe's mega-free rave. A group called United Systems made an attempt in 1995, called their fest Mother, and totally got busted. And we actually, we didn't talk about the follow-up to Castle Morton, and we should. The, 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 the Spiral Tribe immediately tried to follow up. Um, in 1992 that their plan had been to have the biggest summer of illegal raves since 1989. And, um, you know, Castle Morton was definitely a success, but they tried it again in London uh, in a place, um, let's see, where was it? I'm looking at my notes. Um, but they tried to do it in London in a public park and unfortunately picked a location that only had two roads where you could reach it. And yeah, so this was a, a, tact, a tactical mistake. This is the, you got to be like a battlefield commander. This is urban warfare. And if you, and if you pick a place, it, it, it's not a bad idea because if you, if you stick something right in the middle of the city and, and force them to shut that down, then, you know, you're, you're causing them more pain uh, and, and, and being more of a pain in the ass than it's worth to stop them. But uh, because of that, because of the bottlenecks into two roads and one path, and uh, I think it was one uh, subway station, they were just able to, to to choke the whole thing off real easy and and stop them dead in their tracks. Yeah, and that was June 21st, 1992. They were trying to do it on the summer solstice, which is, of course, a big uh, moment in their particular, I don't know if you call it a religious scene, but ideology. Um, and yeah, it was at Mudshoot Farm in East London near the Isle of Dogs uh, in a public park. They picked a failed development where somebody had tried to big, build a big development in the late 80s, and so their, the infrastructure was there. But like you said, yeah, it was too easy for the police to cut it off. And also, he talks a little bit about uh, the Spiral Tribe's fascination with the number 23, which was a big thing in the 90s, but he doesn't credit Robert Anton Wilson, whose Illuminatus trilogy and books like Cosmic Trigger really popularized this fetishization of 23 as a magic number. I think Wilson got it from William S. Burroughs, like he got so much of his stuff, but Burroughs had buried it in a lot of fiction and, and a more artful telling, but Wilson was the kind of guy who would just come out and tell you, here's, here's the secret of occult mysteries, kids. And so there's a ton of this 23 stuff in the 90s, um, several movies, I think the Mothman prophecies and others. So the Spiral Tribe was was in on the 23 tip. Is 23 still a magic number or has the shine been rubbed off that? Uh, I, th I think everybody's gone even deeper with, with, with Kabbalah and a couple of the other, uh, there's a, there's, I know that there's a lot of, uh, what's, what, what again is the, is the word I'm, I'm blanking on it here, but there's a uh, sp spiritual geometry is, is the new in thing. And I think maybe 23 yeah. might be a part of, of the angles that create all of that, uh, all of that mystic, uh, again, like I should know this word, but my brain is, 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 is failing me Numerology? here. Uh, no, 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 not even uh, sacred geometry. Here we go. Sacred so the, geometry. Yeah, sacred geometry is the new hip thing, and you've got certain frequencies, and you've got certain natural shapes that that, that everybody's talking about right now, and that's kind of the hip, the hip point right now. Where twenty three, I think, is being kind of left on the wayside as being a bit too, uh, a bit too simplistic. Let's see, a bit too uh, spiritual arithmetic, and we've moved on to spiritual geometry. Yeah, we went so, from 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 the meaning being twenty three to there's a whole world out there. You know, you can only sell so many books about one number. <laughs> so true, especially when you tell people like Reynolds, now that you're hip to twenty three, you'll start seeing it all the time. And Reynolds says, "And I don't." <laughs> so. Hmm. <laughs> Some of it's wasted on our on our author Simon Reynolds, and yeah, on me too. I had a period of trying to chase that stuff around, and and it, it um, yeah, I never I never really got that much out of it. But I did enjoy reading the books and and thinking about that stuff, and it, it was fun stuff. And I've definitely enjoyed this period of music. Do you think that Spiral Tribe ended up having a lasting impact on the music as well as the politics, or was it just more of a thing of the moment? 
Uh, I mean, I, I got to give them credit. I go back and I listen to a lot of the stuff that was going on uh, at the Spiral Tribe parties, and it all it's all still what you hear at the free tech parties, especially like uh, uh, after after they left and their their uh, their guru Mark ended up in in France making his own stuff under his own label. That's basically uh, a form of uh, free tech hardcore that's still extremely popular in France, and I still hear it at all of the uh, the free tech parties that I go to here in Quebec. Uh, so this stuff is still going strong if you know the right places to look. So you can't you can't say that it didn't have an impact. It's just one of those things that's so off the charts, so far away that 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 unless you know, you're not going to know. Cool. And we should also mention that Seb, who is the musical leader of Spiral, Spiral Tribe, whereas Mark Harrison was the political or ideological leader, uh, Seb went to Paris and found the Network 23 label. And their split was over a distribution deal that Seb found. So I guess they stayed together through the big fun period, even when they lost a lot of their followers. But the two of them split over another distribution deal. They tried to do their own distribution network. But um, as we've talked about on this show many, many times, record distribution is a fraught, fraught thing. And so they had to partner with a bigger thing, and that caused a schism. Yeah, well, too many too many forms of success are seen as being co-opted by the system that you're trying to stay outside of. So if by some miracle the scene isn't destroyed by actual outside forces like the government and the police, it breaks down the moment uh, you start seeing too much success. So that that's always the disappointing thing that I've found uh, as far as uh, the Spiral Tribe and the Free Tech guys and everything else like that is, is that it's too, uh, too philosophically against its own success. Yeah, there's something about left-wing politics going all the way back to the French Revolution that that circular firing squad kind of breaks out as soon as you go big time, and you just see it over and over and over again. So Spiral Tribe was no exception to that. And um, I guess we'll wrap it up for this week, and next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the dreaded uh, intelligent techno or progressive house music in a chapter he calls – Feed your head. So we'll be back next week. I'm Nate Wilcox with Ryan Hartness. We've been discussing Simon Reynolds' Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture. We'll catch you next time. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate and Ryan will be back to talk about Chapter 6 of Reynolds' book, Feed Your Head, Intelligent Techno, Ambient, and Trance. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com.